Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hello, I'm Chris, the pastor at Compass. As always, I'm really glad you joined me today. And I want to start today by asking you a question. Have you ever noticed that much of the way that we see the world is based on our up or down position? Now, now I want you to think standing up or sitting down. Neither one of those is better than the other. I mean, up and down are basically neutral. But when we apply it to other things, position takes on a totally different meaning. So when I feel good, I'm on top of the world. But when I feel bad, I'm down in the dumps. When someone is admirable, we look up to them. Or when someone's reprehensible, we look down on them. When we advance at work, we're climbing the ladder at the top of the food chain. When we aren't doing well at work, we're on the bottom rung of the ladder, the low man on the totem pole. When our lives get better, things are looking up. But when things are bad, we're feeling low. Now, we want to live lives that are going up, where our position is consistently getting better, happier, more comfortable, rather than living lives of downward mobility, where our position appears to be getting worse. But Jesus describes success and greatness in his kingdom as the opposite, where things are a race to the bottom instead of a race to the top, a life where we put others first and put ourselves last, and the view from the bottom is actually better than the, than the view from the top. This Jesus way of being in the world is to go to the back of the line so that others can be closer to the front of the line. Now, this is a recurring theme all throughout the book of Matthew, and it's a theme that's, again, highlighted in Matthew 19, verse 13. Check this out. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked him. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. The kingdom of heaven, it belongs to people who are like children. People who, in the view of the ancient world, are at the bottom of things. Because children were powerless. They had nothing to offer. Children were on the bottom rungs of society. And yet Jesus is holding them up as model disciples in his kingdom. Now, if this sounds familiar, that's because it is. In Matthew 18, literally one chapter ago, Jesus said the exact same thing. In fact, let's look at it in Matthew 18, 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child in and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. According to Jesus, being great in the kingdom of God, it means becoming like a child, embracing humility rather than chasing greatness. It's becoming the least so that the least can become the greatest. But why did Matthew feel like he had to repeat this theme and repeat it so closely to the first time he said it? Whenever a teaching of Jesus is repeated like this, like it is in chapter 19 and verse and chapter 18, we should take a closer look to try and understand why it was repeated. 
And to do that, I wanna take a closer look at this story and what came before it. So let's jump back to Matthew 19, verse two. It says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. So upon leaving Galilee and entering Judea, Jesus finds huge crowds of people who must have heard he was in the area and they're looking for him. And then hearing that Jesus heals people, these people all brought their sick loved ones hoping that he's going to do the same for them. And that's where we find Jesus. He's surrounded by huge crowds and he's healing sick people. Now let's take a look at what happens next in in chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now we're not going to jump into the divorce question. We've talked about that for the last couple weeks. But in the middle of the crowds that are pressing in for healing from Jesus, some Pharisees cut to the front of the line. Now, it's no surprise that the crowd let them through because even though everyone was so desperate to see Jesus, the Pharisees were important men. They were spiritual leaders as well as teachers and enforcers of the law. The Pharisees were powerful men. And if they wanted to see Jesus, then the rest of the people were going to let them through. And when they get to him, the Pharisees pose Jesus a question about divorce, which started an important legal and theological debate. Now, with all of this in mind, let's read today's story again in verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he'd placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, the Pharisees, they interrupted Jesus from healing people to have this theological debate. But the people he was healing were still there, waiting. And their kids needed Jesus. And so they interrupted this conversation to get Jesus's help. And when the disciples see this, they shut it down because they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do you think you're doing? Jesus is having an important conversation with important people. And you can't just interrupt him like that. You think your kids are more important than what these men of God are talking about? Take a hike. And when Jesus heard his disciples do this, he thanked them for getting rid of these annoying kids and protecting his time with these important men. No, that's not at all what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus rebuked his disciples, saying, let those kids come to me. Don't stop them or put them at the back of the line because the kingdom I'm building is for them and for people just like them. I just told you that a chapter ago. I'm sure Jesus didn't say a chapter ago, but I just think that's funny. But how is it possible that the disciples got this so wrong in chapter 19 after Jesus had just talked about it in chapter 18? And I think it's because of a gap that so often exists between what we know and what we do, between what we believe and how we act. In chapter 18, Jesus told the disciples that the greatest people in the kingdom of God are those who become like children. That is a theological statement. That's something that the disciples could know. It's a spiritual truth right from Jesus himself. And while they held this truth about becoming dependent like children in order to become great, the disciples prevented actual dependent children from coming to Jesus because there was a gap between what they knew and how they acted. 
We can also see this gap in light of the Pharisees' question. I mean, the disciples were learning good theology from Jesus about marriage and divorce. They were gaining good spiritual knowledge about issues that really mattered. So much so that, in fact, when children who needed help were brought to Jesus, the disciples were like, can you see that we're working out important theological issues about when it's right and wrong to get divorced here? I mean, you can ask Jesus to heal your kids after we work out when divorce is okay and whose fault it is. But Jesus says, no, let them come. Let them interrupt this dialogue. Because when people are in need, theology can wait. Making sure that we're precise in our spiritual knowledge can wait. Understanding gender in the Bible or the end times can wait. Especially when the people in need are like children, powerless to help themselves and dependent on others to take care of them. People are more important to Jesus than how well we are educated in biblical matters. Because God doesn't care what you know as much as he cares about what you do and how you treat others. I mean, look at how Jesus says it uh, in what is probably the, the single most quoted passage in all of Compass. It's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving God and loving our neighbor is the number one priority for followers of Jesus. And not just feelings of love, but the actions of love. And all the expectations of the law and the prophets, all the expectations in the Bible, are covered if you just love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Likewise, if you had the Bible memorized, if you had all the right theology and doctrines, if you could defend the entirety of Scripture, but you didn't treat others the way that you wanted to be treated yourself, you're totally missing it. The Apostle Paul, he writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanning cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and get this, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. According to Paul, if I knew everything but turned children away from Jesus because caring for them was an interruption of my pursuit of spiritual knowledge, if that was the case, I would be nothing. Which brings us to our big idea today, and it's this. Loving well always beats knowing well. Spiritual knowledge is good. Having good doctrine and theology is important. But the second our pursuit of those things overtakes our desire to love and care for others, then it becomes a weight dragging us down to a place where our spiritual knowledge becomes the grave that our dead faith is buried in. But when loving God and others becomes our first priority, then what we know about faith informs and supports that love. Now, you may think that this is something that's already so obvious, but I'm not sure it is. Because every Sunday, people in churches huddle together to expand their knowledge while they exclude people that don't fit their theological template. They never interact with the poor, the marginalized, and the hurting in their community. 
And we all know this, that nobody can smack down somebody else on social media with the stone-cold viciousness of a Christian who is certain about what they know. Some of the coldest and cruelest people I know are people who, actually, who are actually really good at quoting scripture and even leading Bible studies. Unfortunately, we can also really see the devastating effects of knowing versus loving in the lives of children. A lot of religious people want to make sure that everyone knows what they strongly believe to be true about LGBTQ issues, even when it comes at the cost of loving the people who are affected. As a result, LGBTQ young people between the ages of 13 and 24 who are from religious homes and environments are twice as likely to commit suicide than those who don't have any religious influences at all. There are children who are hurt by knowledge over love. The number one cause of death for children in the United States is guns, and yet white evangelical Christians are some of the strongest supporters of gun rights because they know their right to own guns is God-given, and children are hurt by knowledge over love. Christians have pushed so hard to push prayer in schools, using courts and legislation to advance that cause because they know prayer can change things. But many of those same people don't support free lunches in schools for underprivileged kids because it doesn't line up with what they know to be true about their political ideology. And when religious people are pushing for prayer in schools while preventing food for kids in need, then there are children being hurt by knowledge over love. Sometimes in our pursuit of knowing and believing the right things, we can end up doing the wrong things. That's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 8.1. It says, we know that we possess all knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Paul wrote this and the passage we looked at before in 1 Corinthians 13 to a church in Corinth that was struggling with this exact issue. They had so much deep spiritual knowledge, but they weren't loving each other. They didn't realize that loving well beats knowing well every single time, that God doesn't care how much you know as much as how you love. And I don't know about you, but in my experience, people who know it all tend to love the least. And I don't want to be like that. It doesn't honor God and it doesn't help anyone else. So as we close, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Are there people in my life who I don't love well because of what I know? Are there people who live in ways I disagree with or who I think are sinful? And as a result of that, I don't love them well justifying rules and policies in the church and government that maybe hurt them because of what I believe. Are there people who hold political views that I just know to be wrong or, or who believe things that I know to be false or who do things that I know to be dumb and as a result, I prevent them from coming to Jesus because of my loveless actions? Am I giving people a mistaken idea of what Jesus is like because I'm puffed up with knowledge rather than filled with love? I just pray that we would be a people who love well, like Jesus did when he interrupted an important spiritual conversation to help a child in need, who stopped everything and put all else aside to love people. May we love people like Jesus did, as together we seek to live like Jesus lived, to think like he thought, 
and to do what he taught. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 